one of my favorite metaphors for me and how I say it is life is a pendulum and you need to keep exploring both sides to find where the middle is. Um, and I think that's the case with DeMello. He is one side of the pendulum, but also is like setting massive goals for yourself and taking big action. Um, so I really like to now respect those two phases of my life um, and realize that actually distress comes from when you're resisting, like when you're in the middle and you're like, ah, oh, things are great. And you're actually like resisting swinging to each side, which is going to happen naturally the same as day and night happens um, and, you know, sort of the same as the seasons happen, you have to have these natural changes. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Lewis and Kyle Show. Lewis and Kyle Show is an interview podcast that my friend Lewis and I started back in 2020 where we interview entrepreneurs, investors, creators, uh, authors, and people just generally living high leverage lives. Um, we've interviewed something like 85 people in the bank, if you wanna go listen to those. All of them are evergreen. We try to keep everything not current so that you can enjoy it whenever you please. Today, we have a great episode. Completely agree, Kyle. I really enjoyed interviewing Tyla McConnell in today's episode. Tyla is an author, so she fits into one of those categories you've discussed, uh, but she's also a midwife, which is someone we have not had before first midwife on the on the podcast can't believe it took us 80 episodes to, to interview a midwife but we got there tyla is also an entrepreneurial midwife so she's slowly working on kind of building her own practice so she can avoid a lot of the really damaging and har not harmful but challenges of working for like the medical establishment as a midwife where you know they set your hours they set your appointments it's really 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 hard and uh, from her experience, kind of miserable. So she's building her own practice to be able to have fewer hours in the traditional establishment and more hours and more intimate relationships with a smaller number of clients. And we get into that just a little bit. She's also an author, like you said, of the book 18 and Lost, which is co-authored by two other past podcast guests, Joe and Scott. It's a really awesome book. There are nine cool entrepreneurs in Australia who kind of took alternate life paths or their late twenties and they're giving the advice they would have wanted to receive when they graduated high school at 18. So they don't make the same mistakes. It's a really cool book. I've been enjoying reading it. I really enjoyed Tyler's chapter, especially she's also a Instagram, YouTube and TikToker on this midwife content. Some pretty bizarre stuff there that I would highly recommend checking out. This conversation covers a lot. We cover Tyla's really remarkable self-awareness that just kind of blew both Kyle and myself away. We get into her ideas on masculine versus feminine energy. Of course, we discuss the book. Of course, we discuss her midwife business. And we also discuss how she's uses dating as networking. There's a lot of gems in this conversation. I'm excited for you to listen. We'll switch over to it now. Enjoy. Quick disclaimer for this episode. We had a bit of a technical challenge with the recording. Since Tyla was in Australia and Kyle and I were in the US, there was a bit of a delay between her talking and us talking, uh, which led to it sounding like we interrupted her in the last two to three seconds of every time she started talking. Uh, there's a slight degree of overlap. Kyle and I did not interrupt her every single time she started talking. It just kind of sounded that way. And it really doesn't obstruct the episode. I just wanted to uh, make a disclaimer that that does happen and not to be alarmed. Thanks so much. Hey, Welcome to me. the Lewis and Kyle show. Hype for this conversation. Thanks for being here. We did a podcast a few weeks ago with these guys, Joe and Scott. If y'all haven't listened to this episode already, I'd encourage you to, uh, but Joe's world famous for his world famous for his idea called the thousand doors, which, you know, you need to meet one person that brings you into a hypothetical room that opens to doors that lead to another room. You never know where that will lead. So Tyla, fortunately someone who came into our world through Joe, 
Uh, and so that's a pretty interesting concept. I want to ask you first of all, how you kind of got into that yeah. group and met Joe. Cause I know that's a big part of, uh, the book that you're releasing. It actually is maybe a today. very, one of the most interesting stories. Um, and one that I absolutely love to tell cause it's a bunch of fun. So for me, uh, it all started with actually a right swipe on Tinder, which seems unsuspecting. Um, but I right swiped, well, first, it's really interesting. So I right swiped on Scott. Um, we'd matched on a few apps, but never really got the conversation going. And eventually he's like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'd, well, I'd right swipe on Scott I'm an too. Engineer. I haven't dated one of those before. Let's give it a go. That was sort of my um, jump in. Little did I know um, he's sort of very far from that um, currently. But. It all started with that right swipe. And I remember even before the first date, I was like, oh, can't really be bothered. Not really into it. But I, when I, at that time, when I was actively dating, I had like a no flake rule. And I thought, you know, that's good dating karma. Like if I never flake on anyone, you know, put that karma out there. Um, so I was like, going to flake, going to flake. Then I was like, nah. Um, I t and I ended up turning up. I really saw dating um, as a way of networking. So as a midwife, I work in a predominantly female orientated industry. Um, and I saw dating as a way to create, of course, you know, looking for that romantic partner if you so happen to find it. But I really saw it as an opportunity to network and especially network with men. Um, and I tried to date as many different types as I could um, in terms of just like learning about what they did and their life stories. I found that to be like a great time in my life. Um, so I ended up meeting up with Scott and we went for a bit of a bush walk and he was listening to this book called Awareness by Anthony DeMello, which Joey, you know, is also very fond of. And I had just finished that book and I was like, amazing. So we dated for a little bit and it was so fascinating to learn about Scott. He really is a force. Um, he sort of, we say, uh, Joey describes him as like a bit of a bull that you've got to sort of just let run off the cliff. Um, he'll keep you in conversation for three hours or more. Um, and then through that, um, we figured out he's very logical minded, that very engineer type. I'm, you know, very emotional, intuitive, and it didn't really work compatibility wise, but we both had this desire to, you know, do something greater than what is considered a traditional life to do something, um, you know, innovative and fun. So we thought, well, actually, we can offer each other a lot in terms of being opposites. You know, let's stay in contact. Uh, let's stay friends. And then um, then he said, hey, I think you'd be perfect. I'm having this retreat. Really didn't say what it's about. Sort of mentioned school system. He's like, he was like, are you keen to come along? Um, and I was, you know, working that weekend. But I decided, you know what? I need something like this in my life. So swap my shifts around and I was there. And that's when I was introduced to Joey and all the authors of the book. So what was this retreat that you guys went on and, and, and what, did, what happened during the retreat? So the retreat was kept quite a mystery, um, but it was essentially along the lines of we're going to do something with schools, maybe write a book. That was like the um, preface and knowing Joey better now, I know that he likes to keep a lot of things secret or um, misrepresent things uh, in a way to sort of get you in and then um, chuck something left out of left field. That's really his style. Um, so when we got there, we essentially were run through a workshop by Joey and Scott. And a lot of it were Joey's concepts from his blog about um, how to live life, um, the A Thousand Doors concept, audience of none. So what would you do if nobody was watching? Um, sort of the idea of the pleasure treadmill, like once you get on it, 
Um, and if you're unconscious about it, like you're just going to keep wanting more and more and more. Um, and so we went through a series of these workshops and we drew out, you know, our life story, told our life story. Um, originally, the idea was to interview a bunch of people um, each and then compile that into a book. But then we realized, hey, our stories are just as relevant and just as unique. Um, and it's almost better to have the story of the everyday human because, you know, that's especially what people who leave school want to hear. They don't want to hear about the entrepreneur who's already made millions and millions of dollars because it seems so far out of reach. Um, instead, they just want to hear about people that are doing cool things now that may be a little bit different than normal. So how does, I'm trying to figure out exactly how, how I want to put this question together. So during the, that weekend, do you write the book, create a draft? How does kind of this seem like it was a half to bake idea from the host of the event at the beginning of the weekend? How does it mature into a book that's, you know, being published well, the next week or so? I think the idea was that, um, you know, what, what is, you know, the minimal viable sort of way to write a book? I think sometimes when we do things, we almost talk ourselves out of it um, by being like, writing a book, that seems impossible, that's many years of work, I'll do it in my free time, that sort of concept, um, rather than like, how about we do it in a month, that's all we've got, you know, what can you come up with in a month? Um, so we set all the dates, okay, everyone's to write this chapter in a month, then we come back together, see what we've got and go from there. So the premise of the book from how I understand it, you know, the title's fairly helpful in that it's 18 and lost. So are we, then you have these eight or nine co-authors sharing, uh, their stories of their life paths. So let's get into your chapter. Like what is the lesson you're imparting to, you know, these prospective 18 year olds who might want to go a different way in life? Like what's the message, uh, and the story obviously that you deliver in, in your fraction of the book? So my chapter's idea is really about self-abandonment um, and how we often abandon ourselves in order to please others, um, put simply. Um, but also sometimes we abandon ourselves for what we think is best for ourselves. So how this really played out for me is um, in high school, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was really interested in concepts like psychology, didn't really know. But I knew that when I was little, I had this pregnant Barbie doll. Um, and I loved to do pretend births and I absolutely loved the idea of birthing and pregnant women. It was just this thing I always thought about um, and a fascination. But I thought, oh, that's really weird for like a 10 year old to be thinking about. I remember like getting my parents um, computer and YouTube had just come out and like secretly watching births and like treating it like basically a teenage boy who's seeing porn for the first time, like so secretive, delete the history, uh, that sort of thing. Um, so I sort of pushed that away and didn't really think about it. But then. Um, I was just sitting in like roll call and a girl, you know, we'd always ask each other, oh, like, what are you going to do? That's the most common question, you know, facing 17, 18 year olds. What are you going to do when you finish school? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, and I sort of learned that this wasn't really, people weren't really interested in what you were actually going to do. They just wanted to weigh it up with what they think you should do or what they would want to do. Um, it was never actually a genuine interest but anyway this girl at the time had said maybe I'm thinking about being a midwife um, and for me it was like a lightning bolt like I had been struck and I was and I said right then that's what I'm going to do and I'll do it for the rest of my life um, so I think I was very lucky in having that certainty but it didn't mean I didn't face challenges so what I ended up doing is I went on a student exchange through Rotary 
Um, and Rotary has the idea, so they're for the community, and they essentially want to create better international relations. Um, they've helped end polio uh, and things like that. Their whole motto is service above self. Um, and so I went to Sweden for a year, and this was massive for my development. I'd say it was like the hardest year of my life. Um, because I went into like Australian culture, weather always good, everyone generally friendly. Um, and I didn't know that Swedes were so determined by, like they were so controlled by the weather. So I went January, the middle of winter there, like no one would talk to me, couldn't make friends easily. Um, but it also made me realize, wow, had I been, you know, born into this, into Sweden, my whole life would have been different. Um, you know, they had different customs, different cultures and different traditions. Um, and I was just like, wow, the biggest thing that really struck me as well is my host mom at the time, like she had this really uh, sort of important job and my host dad's job was still important, but he did mainly all the cooking and the cleaning. Um, and he was more of that, I guess, maternal figure. And just to see that play out um, was so fascinating. Um, and that really made me realize, wow, I actually have a choice to how I wanna live my life. So I came back to Australia um, and started my midwifery degree. Um, but like something wasn't clicking. I, I didn't like how it was done. At uni, we were sort of fed this idealized version of what birth was like. And then to see the hospital system um, and how it is, it was a complete opposite. Um, and I remember I handed the papers in to defer, like I was gonna leave uni. But my mum said, if you leave, I'm gonna kick you out of the house. Um, and how it sort of worked living in Sydney, very unaffordable for uni students. Most people will live with their parents until they finish uni. Um, so I was like, I don't know, you know, I didn't even know how I would like live on my own or, or rent. So I stuck with it and she's like, you'll thank me on graduation day. But then during my time at uni, I was still looking for an escape. Um, and that's when I found a lot of personal development, entrepreneur um, sort of concepts and business because I didn't want to be trapped by a system. Um, so that really led me to um, just completely expand my mind to what is possible for me. Um, and then um i finished uni and i did in fact thank my mom on graduation day more for having completed something um and i guess having plan b whether you know that's the right thing necessarily i don't know but i was grateful to have been like well at least i finished something and from then i can do postgrad education or something like that um so there's this um job in midwifery where you work on call um, and you have a caseload of women and in uni this is preached as the gold standard of care because women who have the same midwife um, are less likely to have a premature baby are less likely um, to need an epidural are less likely to have a stillbirth like how do we measure these things why does just having the same care provider do that um we really don't know but that's what the research says so i sort of had fixed myself that that's what I would do. And it's a little bit more alternative, choose your own hours. You don't have to do shift work in the hospital. And so I worked towards that. Um, and then, you know, like most times when we set a goal and we have big expectations for it, uh, it often very much fails to meet that. So I actually found at that time that um, it was highly stressful. I committed my whole life to the job. I hadn't learned boundaries. I hadn't learned these essential skills that you need to know in life. Um, through my uni degree about, you know, um, where does the line between work and, you know, personal life end? How do you assert those boundaries without feeling guilty? I had very like codependent tendencies where I felt responsible for the women and their outcomes when, you know, that simply can't exist. 
Um, and then, you know, I actually remember a time where I had worked on call 27 days straight um, without a break and I was driving my car like down a highway and I was like, what if I just turn my car into the cement barrier? Like I just, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. I don't want to do this anymore. And that was really like a low point of when I realized I had to change um, and that I couldn't work like that anymore. So I started, um, you know, thinking about other ways to work and it's very uncommon for a midwife but to be using social media for education and to be looking at different ways to um you know in both improve the system improve women's outcomes but also a better way for me to work um and so that's when i ended up you know creating my own business um and and forming online content that's an extremely interesting story, and I know that we're going to dive deeper into the midwife part of it, although Lewis and I's understanding of it all is, is definitely limited. Uh, I want to go back to this self-abandonment issue. Um, mm. What misunderstanding in young people and, and just people in general uh, do you think makes us prioritize uh, the wants, the needs, the priorities of other, of other people above our own um, selves and our own priorities? And, and what do you think this is like, is there a common solution? Is it a common misunderstanding? I don't really think we're ever taught how to listen to our inner voice or how to listen to ourselves. Um, I think, you know, we go through school, that's all regimented. We know what class is next, what assignments are due. And it's all at the account of someone else. The same for high school, the same for exams, everything's sort of presented in front of us. And then we're taught to react. I think, you know, being proactive is, is not really focused on. And some could say this is the remnants of um, sort of an industrial society where we're taught to be good workers and, you know, that's what you're sort of trying to train. Um, but I think it also goes on like people wanting the best for you and everyone wanting to give you these opinions. And I love what Joey says that all advice is bad advice because people give you advice they wish they gave themselves rather than advice that is individualized for you. Um, so, yeah, for me, I think how it presented was really um, wanting, being responsible for other people's feelings, wanting, you know, my parents to be proud of me or, you know, wanting to do things similar to my friends. Um, now that I'm working in Outback Australia, so it's the very centre, Alice Springs, um, it's one of the most isolated towns in Australia. Um, and essentially, I've been able to learn a lot more about Indigenous culture so Indigenous people um, have this concept where they will sit um, on the ground for hours and sort of stare into space, um, you know, and us looking in on that, we might be like, what are these people doing? Like, what on earth, you know, um, some people might, you know, see it as unproductive, but really what they're doing then is taking the opportunity to connect, you know, their mind, body, soul, spirit, um, and listen, listen to the messages they sort of get, listen to their intuition. Um, and that really opened my eyes of like, how often are we left undistracted without social media, without, you know, going to work, driving here, going to the gym, doing this? How many gaps do we leave to sit and stare into space and listen to what our intuition is telling us? Yeah, I really like the concept that you brought up there about, um, you know, being responsible for other people's feelings and like how just how out of control that is actually to you like you can do everything right um in in the pursuit of making someone happy and someone cut them off on the way home and like your whole day is ruined because they didn't react the way that you wanted them to right and like i think that that's really mm -hmm. essential to like making good relationships with people is just like 
just removing those expectations entirely. Um, but it's a lot mm. easier said than done, obviously. Like, I'm not good at it. <laughs> um, but I think it's important for the self-abandonment issue and, like, treating yourself like you're someone that's worth being uh, taken care of and, like, that you're responsible for yourself. And, and that those you're the person that you that that can actually make a change in you like you can't make somebody feel anything but you can make yourself feel something right and it's like sort of backwards um, and so this next question that I've got for you is a little off the walls a little different I sense that you're a very emotionally intelligent person I think that your job probably you have to be I mean I think you know I don't know anything about it, but it's got to be a very emotional business. I've heard childbirth is stressful. Right. Um, what emotional misunderstandings do you think that there are between men and women that are common but like not widely understood? Kyle, you don't know how well she's prepared for this question. I listened to her on Byron's show, Masculine and Energy versus Feminine Energy. She's about to just knock this one out of the it. park. Let's hear it. So, yeah, like I was saying, you hit one of my absolute favorite topics in the world. Um, working as a midwife, you are privy to what is um, sometimes the happiest day of a couple's life or sometimes the most devastating. And you're really privy to how relationship dynamics completely can affect a whole birth experience. So the biggest thing with birth um, is that it's a mental game. Not a lot of it's physical. Um, you know, you can measure OBS and measure things, but a lot of it can't be measured. It's still completely out of control. The medical system has tried to, you know, bring in some control, but that's always led to worse outcomes. We know any medical interventions sort of that aren't necessary, um, are, you know, can lead to worse outcomes. So that sort of, I guess, my, was my initial insight into the fascination between men and women working generally with heterosexual couples, but also not forgetting to remember that, you know, I do work with same-sex couples as well. Um, so, yeah, so I talk a lot about feminine masculine and my interest came from uh, dating um, and really never having it sort of go right and really starting then to build a fascination of, like, why do we struggle to understand each other so much? Um, and really then looking at the two different types of energies because we know men and women are different um, and it's good to accept that. I know we're definitely looking for equality, but that is a different sort of thing. Um, and, you know, yes, looking for equality of rights, um, you know, and equality of pay, but still understanding that we work and operate very differently. So for me, the feminine sort of represents this free-flowing, nurturing um, sort of spirit. Um, I like to say that the woman is the river and the man is the river bank. I also want to extend that there are exceptions to this and you can have a feminine man and a masculine woman and that still works really well. Um, but I'll just talk in sort of that general sense um, for the conversation. Um, I think one of the big things is that um, men feel loved by having sex and women need to feel loved to have sex. So I think that is a really big difference. And how I try and explain it, um, and to my understanding, it's in the same way women feel these intensities of emotion, men feel the intensity of sexual desire. And when I realized this, um, it really allowed me to understand and appreciate men a lot more. I know with a lot of these movements coming out, and so they should be brought to life, such as the Me Too movement, um, it's important to, you know, note that there are definitely times when that goes wrong, 
But I also think now it's almost gone too far that men are so scared to embrace that um, side of sexual desire um, and, and really accept it as part of their masculine um, that, you know, we are seeing a lot of then issues then um, in these relationship dynamics of, you know, men not taking the lead. So I like to say, um, and this is for my own personal preference that, um, you know, in my relationship dynamics, I like the men to lead but be informed by me sort of thing. So be informed by the feminine. So it's almost like the woman is the neck and the man is the head. Um, and that's really just honing on, on those natural masculine and feminine energies. Um, so a good example of this would be um, just decision making. So, you know, there's that infamous argument that couples, you know, always argue about what to eat you know and it's always a big issue what are we going to eat what are we going to eat and it's sort of like the man listening to like how the woman's feeling and her preferences but ultimately just making the damn decision um because they are much better at goal planning strategizing um, um sort of being focused on projects um and getting that um tunnel vision and what we like to say you know let's say like women have you know thousands more thoughts than men generally and that makes them a lot better at being that sort of task orientated goal orientated so you know it's understanding that there are going to be these differences and it's not criticizing them or trying to change each other but rather respecting and understanding the differences yeah i think that's a, a good breakdown of again i think a lot of people have become afraid to even make the general statement men and women have differences uh <laughs> i think you do a really good job of handling that and like explaining obviously there's exceptions just you know, I think the way someone like Jordan Peterson, if you're familiar with him, might explain that because he's gotten in a lot of trouble for making very similar kind of yeah. descriptions of some differences. He's like, if you handed a personality test to a thousand men and a thousand women and each had them take this personality test, you know, you can predict the outcomes will be different on that personality test. Then, you know, if you look at FD data from every individual who took the test, yes, you can't make, you can say they're more likely to be this way because they're from that group. Uh, I think you do it in a way that respects, you know, the difference of every individual while being like, yes, there's overall trends uh, that are really, really interesting there. One question I have for you that you've kind of wasn't even on my list of questions before the podcast. So that's how you know it's a good question. Uh, you just demonstrate a very high degree of self-awareness. Uh, one, just in speaking of like your own preferences and like your own values and also your own personal weaknesses that you've seemingly overcome over time. How do you, you know, you brought up sitting and staring at a space for four hours. And this was going to be the question I asked if Kyle didn't jump in there. Do you sit and stare at a space for four hours? Like what are your practice? Do you sit down with Joe for an hour and he exposes these things about you? Uh, what, what are your practices advice for kind of realizing a lot of these living beliefs that you've had in the past and have seemingly periodically overcome? So the biggest way I actually love to do this is not alone. I am much like a creature of, you know, wanting to interact with people and learn about people. So my biggest um, way to do this is actually just ask really important questions to people. And by listening to them, you also are able to develop um, your own sense of like how you would answer the question. Um, so I think genuine, genuine curiosity of how other people work um, is a big way that I like to do it. Um, one of my favorite questions that I used to ask on dating apps all the time was, um, you know, in regards to a person's work, because you normally get asked like, what job do you do? Whatever. That's a really boring, basic question. We know that, but I would ask, what about your job? Do you know, um, only because you do the job that all of the population should know? 
And this was such a great way for me to specifically like learn, get sort of the insider secrets on careers and people's jobs without being exactly like, what is your job? Um, getting more out of it than, you know, passing a judgment on someone based off their career, but also, um, you know, based off their answer, it's that real mirror and reflection of like, okay, like they value that and they see that as important. What might I see as important? Um, but I think it's having those really important conversations um, and I would also say, yeah, just that um, constant mental dialogue of like, how does this feel to me? So a lot of my self-awareness comes through emotion um, and really being able to identify my feelings. So it's just that stopping and reflecting on your feelings, um, but also asking into space. So not necessarily doing it for four hours, that might seem a bit crazy, but um, I always ask the question, like, what's the next right thing for me to do? And sort of just sit and wait for the answer and it always does come. I think that's really solid advice and you know, you don't need four hours. Again, this is like what we were saying about the book to people, right? That if people think, oh, I'm going to write a book and then in their heads, there's this, oh, I'm not mm. going to do that. That's a year I need all this time. And it's the same thing with kind of encouraging people to take some space for just a little bit of quiet, undistracted introspection. And you, you don't need to sit for four hours to, to get the benefits of that. I, I promise if you sit in a dark closet for 10 minutes, it doesn't have to be dark or a closet, uh, but preferably quiet with one question and your only priority is to sit and let the answers come, that will be useful. And you don't need a lot of free time to do it. At most 10 minutes is the last I counted for how long it takes for 10 minutes to, to pass. Uh, I have another question for you, kind of unrelated to everything we've brought up so far. Are you still a 5.30 a.m. person? That is, yeah, is an excellent, excellent question. So one massive thing that came from writing the book was meeting Marvin, um, who then introduced us to 530 Club. So he was one um, of like an original club founder. Um, so for six months straight, I, I did the 530 Club prior to moving to Alice Springs. Um, so moving to a new location, we're actually launching a 530 Club Alice Springs this month. Um, so definitely getting started. And I think having the opportunity to do it for six months and now having sort of three months off, um, I realize I am able to reflect and realize just how much value it added to my life. So sort of to relate that back to the self-awareness, the biggest thing for me is just chucking myself into like really random experiences and always saying yes, um, that inherently is going to make you more self-aware. So for me, it's like, you know, doing midwifery in Africa, going to Sweden, moving to the outback Australia, like all of that is going to- Can you explain to, a little bit about the benefits from the 530 Club that you're missing now? So for me, I really do struggle with um, personal accountability. Um, as much that right now I'm living in nursing quarters and when I clean my room, I get like one of the girls to come and sit and watch me clean my room so that I'm cleaning it. Um, I really use my friendships as an opportunity for accountability. So I do group work working out and make sure that my friend's going and I'll meet them there. That's really a strategy I found for myself. So in terms of 530 Club, it was that I had that guilt of like, if I don't go, I'll be letting a friend down. And that always forced me to go. There is no way on this earth would I voluntarily get up at 5.30 in the morning on my own um, ever. And so I think for me, like it was just that one hour and I would often even do it before a 12 hour shift at the hospital, which is what I was working at that time. Um, because it just gave me that hour to myself and it seems silly but sometimes all I would just do is a post on Instagram for my business um, and it seemed like a really small thing but unless you actually set aside that time 
um, to do that every morning, even though it takes five minutes, it just doesn't become a mental priority. And I've significantly noticed that now, like when you're just holding yourself accountable, oh yeah, to post it, but then like no one's there, you know, holding you accountable. It never happens. It never does. So for me, it, it was a way of, again, connecting with community in the morning and using that as a form of, um, in a way, productivity. But I wouldn't say sort of like that toxic productivity of, oh, I must be successful, but rather like these are things I want to right. do anyway. Well, let's go into your business and your social media profiles and, and what you've been able to build, I guess, since that moment when you were driving home and you are like, I mean, what am I doing? I don't want to go to work tomorrow and then figure it out, you know, this business. So why don't you talk to us about what the business is mm. um, and and what you're doing with it now. And also model. how you've grown your TikTok following to so to to what, 20 million views and 3 million likes, right? It's incredible. Yeah, it's been insane. <laughs> yes, yeah, so... For me, it was really about making the decision that I wasn't happy. And that's being honest with yourself. I think that's one of the hardest things. But my top number one value above all else is honesty. And that's honesty with my friends, like calling it out as it is. Um, but more importantly, honesty with myself. So it was admitting I am not happy here. Um, and once I sort of made that choice and put in my resignation, um, I think it's important to recognize that there's that time of recovery where I, my main focus was cutting as much out of my life as I possibly could. The only goal I had was to create space, nothing else. So, you know, it was ending, um, yeah, it was ending a, a domestic violent relationship that I was in in that time. Um, it was ending like CrossFit, which for me was like way too, like too intense to keep up with. It was cutting that out. Um, it was cutting out friends that I felt obliged to see. And that's, you know, all I did at the start. I was like, I just want to create space. I just want to create space. Um, and then from sort of nothing is where you build. I think the biggest lesson um, that I learned um, was that, yeah, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. That's reflected in the 530 Club and especially in this book that then I started to surround myself with people that held me accountable, that, you know, gave me that nourishment, that inspired me, that I had those amazing conversations with. Um, and that was really the catalyst to it all. I think we're very much taught this concept of aloneness. Um, uh, in Western culture, and again, to compare it to what I've learned about the Indigenous community is, um, you know, if the Indigenous community sees someone on their own, it's almost seen as that person's like mentally ill, like people shouldn't be alone, they should always be together in communities um, with family. Um, so, you know, um, it's that concept of like, you think you have to do it all, you have to, you know, get your finances in order, you have to build your own business, you have to do all of, all of this. But realizing that that is such a struggle, that is such hard work. Um, and you know what, you know, when you do it with people, it comes naturally. Um, it feels so much more intuitively, intuitive. Uh, it's almost so, effortless, to I would ask say. To a more specific version of the question, I mean, great, great, great context. I, I don't want to say you didn't answer the question. I want to get additional answers. Uh, Let's let's talk mm -hmm. about TikTok specifically. So, have you felt it's effortless? Have you been strategic yeah. about it? Did you have you know X goals for followers, X goals for videos per week, or are you just mm -hmm. like, I went to work today and someone asked me this question about you know should mothers eat like there's two people or only an extra two hundred calories? Like, and I feel like everyone should actually know about that. Uh, what's kind of 
the side of the spectrum and the strategy or, or lack yeah. thereof and more on the intuition side, just with TikTok? So I'd say um, leading on from that concept of creating space. So once that space was created, I was actually able to um, figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and for me, I have this saying, um, high hopes, low expectations. Um, so I've learned that expectations always will um, come back to bite you. Um, always, always, always. So, but that's not saying don't have any goals and don't have any desires. You can be hopeful, um, but just to see where it goes. So with TikTok, um, I literally uh, had been making YouTube videos when I was a midwifery student. Um, so nursing culture, midwifery culture have this idea of eating young alive. Um, and I found it was really challenging in training, um, faced quite a lot of bullying. And the outlet that I had was like, I want to educate midwifery students so that they don't have to go through the same thing. Um, give them strategies to deal with difficult midwives, give them information. Um, so it started like that. But then I thought, you know, why sort of stop at midwifery students when there's all these mums out here, um, you know, you don't have to get a license to have a child, yet the actions that you take in parenthood will completely alter like a human's life. To me, that is insane. Like you could, you can just uh, yeah, get pregnant and suddenly um, with no education, no information, sort of be responsible for, you know, an entire lifetime. Um, and I really thought more people need to know. So similar to what you said and similar to that question that I always ask on dating apps of like, what do I have um, specific knowledge on being a midwife that everyone needs to know? Um, and that was really an easy premise to create videos. So I just started to chuck a few up, um, just cuts from my YouTube, just to see where it went. I personally had learned so much from TikTok. I'd loved, I'd enjoyed TikTok. Um, so I was like, let's chuck a few up. Um, and then I think within the first sort of five to 10 videos, suddenly one went crazy viral. Um, and that was when I was um, on a TV show called One Born Every Minute, which is about, you know, babies being born. Um, but that went crazy. And I was like, wow, now I have this incredible audience. Like, how can I best serve them? Um, then also through that, um, on the business side of things, I actually then had baby companies reaching out um, and one particular startup who wanted to work with me. Um, and essentially their whole premise was like, we don't want to like make you commercial. We don't want you to have to like advertise products. All we want to do is add value to our women. And that's your only job. And so that was something that I really aligned with because no one wants to be that sort of sellout. Um, and especially working for the government, you have to be super careful with how you do things. But knowing that they didn't want that from me, that they just wanted, um, you know, me to do Q&As for women um, and, you know, answer their questions, things like that, um, that really aligned. So um, it was sort of weird how when you create space and you just put stuff out there without expectation that, um, again, you open those doors for yourself and it's almost like what you put out comes back to you. But it's never instantly. And I think this is why people have a lot of problems with creating things because it's like, an Instagram doesn't grow overnight. A TikTok doesn't grow overnight. You just have to keep putting it out there and you never ever know what's going to land. Um, and that's the craziest things. Like the videos that go viral for me are like the ones that I was like, oh yeah, I'll just quickly do that one. Like it might be, um, you know, it's, it's a weird idea. And then suddenly that's my biggest one. Um, and I would even say that um, you can relate that back to life is that like for me again with that date with Scott I had no expectations of like I was sort of just like oh maybe whatever we'll see I'll just go on it and suddenly 
you know, it turned into the most amazing thing. Um, and I think Joey's posted this thing recently that it um, that says um, we often get what we want when we stop wanting it. Um, and I think uh, that is super valuable. So um, again, with my business, that success and those followers haven't come from me like busting, you know, oh, having this content planner and I must reach this views by this time and all these goals. For me, that gets me really in my masculine energy, you know, that I sort of want to, my inner child wants to rebel against that. I'm like, I don't want a strict schedule for myself. I honestly just say, okay, when I feel like there's an important topic, I'll make it. Um, and I don't put my, that pressure on myself. And I actually find that way um, I am you know, more excited to make it, more excited to do it. And it happens a lot more effortlessly. Iconic creators on the internet. Uh, there's obviously counterexamples, but some of the most iconic creators on the internet, like Wait But Why and Tim Urban, for example, he doesn't release content on any predictable schedule, but every piece he puts out is a mega hit because he only releases it when there's some massive point he has to make. I mean, you can make the alternative example, someone like David Dobrik on YouTube who had like a weekly vlog for a very long time. Uh, I think that's kind of the difference. So like Kyle and I, for example, with an interview podcast, the, now getting into like a whole unrelated explanation, but the source of entropy, the source of randomness, like as it's easy to do a good weekly interview podcast because you just bring on someone else who's interesting. Uh, and like that is the source of kind of environmental <laughs> randomness that like leads to consistently interesting content. But as someone like you on TikTok, which is like, you know, you asking yourself, what do I know that the world needs to know? Okay, it's Tuesday. I need to come up with something, right? Like you can't repeat it. Like you can't always have something good to say every Tuesday. Uh, and so the fact that you've kind of waited for that intuition to strike for when you post seems like it's really uh, made a positive impact. Now, I want to ask you, I have two more questions I want to ask. I know how many more Kyle has. Uh, one I want to ask you is about DeMello uh, specifically. So if anyone hasn't read Awareness by Anthony DeMello, which I would have never heard of had it not been myself a member of this kind of a thousand doors friend group or whatever we want to call it, uh, the, with Joe as the community philosopher. But how have you put DeMello into kind of your life? Uh, because one thing you said that sp stuck out to me was kind of acknowledging that you're unhappy. And that kind of seemed like a contradictory idea to like a very DeMello kind of philosophy. Uh, so what's your kind of like, because that book really rocked my world when I first read it. Uh, so how do you bring that book into your life in some various ways? And how did you find it? So, um, ironically, I was actually given it by, um, an ex partner who's sort of like, you know, I think you should read this. Um, and I, it took me a while to get into it. So I used to just keep it by my bath and every time I had a bath, I would like, Oh, just read a little bit, little bit. And I didn't really realize the true value. I think until I hit the middle and then I had to like for hours, keep filling out the bath to make it hot so I could like get through the book. Um, and then from there, I used to like, uh, listen to it every night before I went to bed, sort of just 20 minutes, um, as a bit of a, like clearing of the mind. I think, um, one, one, some feedback I got from Scott is like, Tyler, you're almost like too self-aware in that you keep, um, looking the devil in the eye and you keep focusing on your flaws and you keep trying to be like, I know I have problems with this. I need to fix it. And this is this, um, so it really gave me the ability to let that go. Um, and um, I really sort of like to say um, just to stop, stop worrying, stop that constant worrying in my head um, and how that, I guess, sort of came about is now I always have this phrase, like everything works out best case scenario. Um, so I 
I sort of will repeat that to myself several times a day, especially when I'm stressed, because you find actually, you know, what might seem stressful at the time has taught you something valuable or has led to something even better. Um, so it allowed me to let go of the outcome and sort of just enjoy the journey and realize that, you know, may, whilst it may not feel good now, um, it's definitely going to feel good later. And so then I would like to come to the point of you said everything that like I wasn't happy. Um, I really like to say that life is sort of between expansion and contraction, like the flight of the bird's wings. You need both um, to move forward. So I think you do have to oscillate between sort of that, oh, like, I'm not happy, I need to take action versus like, I just need to glide um, and enjoy what's happening right now. And I think when people really get themselves in a tizzy or, or unhappy is that um, they, you know, they'll be going on a really good roll, doing all their exercise, you know, smashing their goals. Suddenly, like the switch flips and they can't get out of bed. They're not, you know, and then they almost make it go longer and they get angry at themselves because they're like, oh, but I used to be able to do this. I was doing this for so long. And they're really resisting um, that time for contraction and to actually come in um, and reflect, you know, on the period of growth they just had. So one of my favorite metaphors for me and how I say it is life is a pendulum and you need to keep exploring both sides to find where the middle is. Um, and I think that's the case with DeMello. He is one side of the pendulum, but also is like setting massive goals for yourself and taking big action. Um, so I really like to now respect those two phases of my life um, and realize that actually distress comes from when you're resisting, like when you're in the middle and you're like, ah, oh, things are great. And you're actually like resisting swinging to each side, which is gonna happen naturally the same as day and night happens um and you know sort of the same as the seasons happen you have to have these natural changes um and what i found interestingly um is even with like a woman and her menstrual cycle it happens for four weeks and each week you've got completely different um hormonal things going on and each week you should really be doing different exercises um if you work out uh you should be doing different things um to optimize your hormones at that time whereas a man their um, testosterone cycle is that 24 hours time so i guess they can sort of you know work their day towards this, that um, this has all been incredibly interesting i've really enjoyed listening to your answers and hours, i think you're extremely clear thinker well. um it's been this has been very very cool um my next question so i got two questions lewis's dogs are barking he sent me his question i will i will relay that to you shortly um you know i, I don't ever i'm not going to talk to many midwives probably until it's like time what, what like what can i do what, what what are like three things that men should know about like birthing and the whole experience <laughs> like like how could i be like the best in that like period of time so this again is one of uh, the most interesting conversations that i could have um and something that i learned recently actually from a same-sex couple that i'm looking after um is that actually they've found that when men have been introduced into the labor room um which has only sort of been since the 70s and 80s we've actually seen um a few more difficulties so at times more increased intervention um, and why this is, is because in a labor room, the man rightly so goes into his masculine and he's like wanting to protect his woman and wanting to save her from the pain. You know, you'll hear, get her the epidural, get her the pain relief. Um, they really see that as their role um, rather than actually, I guess, taking that step back 
uh, that idea of surrender and really respecting how powerful their partner is and how, you know, with the right mindset, their partner can do this. So through TV and especially, I guess, what a lot of men's understanding will be um, is that birth is so scary and so dramatic and so terrifying um, and there's blood and guts and everything like that. Uh, but one of my favorite sayings is actually um, a, a baby should be birthed in the same environment it's conceived in. All those same hormones are at work. So, you know, if you're having sex with a woman, like, do you want your a doctor in there measuring your heart rate? Oh, is he doing it right? Is the erection long enough? Is it good enough? Um, oh, no, he's failing. Um, and these are sort of words that are used with women. Like, she's, she's taking too long. She's failing to progress. Um, and it's really going against uh, nature, you know, when left, you know, to have sex in a room with no interruptions, you know, with some nice music on, candlelight in the dark, it's a lovely time. And birth can also be that way. There's been multiple times, especially at home birth, where I've seen women laugh their babies out, have the best time. Yes, it's difficult the same way as running a marathon is difficult. Yet we don't, you know, stick morphine into marathon runners' veins. We, we appreciate their struggle and we appreciate their effort. And this is not to say that I believe all women shouldn't have intervention or pain relief. 15% um, of cesarean sections are life-saving. And I also believe if a woman is, you know, in a lot of fear, you know, maybe doesn't have the best relationship and isn't in that mental space to have, you know, a birth that can be full of surrender and enjoyment, then of course they can be used um, to amazing, you know, extent. Um, but I think really, focusing on that time to first of all learn about having a baby learning about how hormones work learning that actually having the lights off is important because that stimulates melatonin which stimulates your oxytocin that actually you should be you know making out and increasing your oxytocin massaging your partner and really you know talking about your love for your partner to make her hormones work more successfully um, is an important thing I think a lot of men go into birth being like, what do I do, right? Masculine, very like, what's on my to-do list, goals, how long, how many centimetres of cervix? And of course, we love men for that, um, you know, always sort of having a plan and keeping logical. However, really, I say to men, all you have to do is be there and actually be present with your partner and don't like let yourself run away by being like, get her the epidural or, um, you know, run away mentally in fear, just being like, I'm with her through all of this, you know, giving her encouraging words, having that eye contact, having that touch. And like, no matter what, Real I hold question, steadfast very and present. Question. Um, and that's really the most amazing Rough thing estimate, that they can do. How many babies do you think you've delivered? So one thing in midwifery is we love to say that pizzas are delivered and babies are birthed. Um, and we really like to put the power back to the women that they birth their own babies. And we are simply there to either catch or just sit on our hands and watch them catch um, and sort of be the facilitators. Um, for me at this stage, it would definitely be in its hundreds. Um, and I think that's so cool. They sort of say, you know, you know you've made it um, as an ED nurse when you can do CPR without getting like, you know, adrenaline up. And I feel the same now. Like, that's awesome. That at least I, I had the forethought like, to acknowledge it. Oh, yeah, the head's question. there. The baby's about to <laughs> uh, come. Just be it. really like nonchalant uh, that uh, uh, I've sort of made it. I wanted to say life. earlier, uh, first of all, I think that's really, really helpful advice for, for any man. And again, comes back to the things that only you would know having <laughs> sat through hundreds of these and seeing people make mistakes that have really not helped anybody. Uh, so thank you for sharing that insider expertise with us. I just wanted to say on your DeMello answer, 
that that's kind of very spoke directly to kind of the experience I've had where I had a very intense last couple of years of college of like, you know, very go, go, go planning, increasing my capacity and doing a poor job of coming to terms with like a very relaxed summer of like not having any dramatic challenges and like a insane sense of progress and all those things. And, uh, hopefully now this, the, the pendulum's going to go back the other way, but maybe wanting it to go the other way is not, not the lesson, but that kind of put the situation I'm in, in some terms I hadn't thought through. So thank you for that. I do want to ask a couple more book related questions, uh, since sticking to the plan, right? Sticking to the plan. But one thing I'm curious about, because you know, the book's not eight or nine authors, not just you, what is something that you learned from another author that kind of changed the way you've approached your life since the retreat or since reading the drafts or just one other example, besides just you sharing your story that you were affected by the story and the ideas of another author. I think Joey is an incredible answer to sort of a nice, easy answer to go with it, but also very true in that all his concepts on his blogs, um, all his metaphors he speaks in, um, have completely been life-changing and you know even when I'm you know going through a hard time he's got his podcast with just like 10 minutes that you just like realigns you so I think it's easy to say that and I'll definitely definitely noteworthy but I think for me a big one was Dab who is our youngest author and was 18 at the time of writing it um, and I think just seeing her and I think almost recognizing my younger self in that but knowing that my path I got too scared. I stopped listening to myself and I sort of take, took the long way and to be able to see her now and continue to encourage her. Like you have these massive dreams, go after them, girl. Like don't let anything sort of stop you. Don't let any outside influence um, affect you negatively. Um, you know, you've got this hunger and that hunger and creativity is unique and understanding that and believing in that and seeing where you can go with that. Definitely for me um, was a big, was a big learner and just realizing you know, I think you learn more by putting your time into other people and, um, Those you know, are all helping them I out have. rather Kyle, than like have, directly for yourself. You okay, always like, you learn more indirectly. Every question I've asked yeah, is going to win or I've been, just I've been writing ready, a bunch of stuff ready, I'm ready to, to cash out and, uh, and yeah, feel like a winner. I mean, I've got so many notes. I was, I'm There's definitely like, like notes kind of blown notes. away, Tyler. I, uh, honestly, I did not do enough preparation for this conversation. I knew you're going to be awesome because Joe, but like... I, I'm very impressed with your ability to uh, answer these questions in a way that is, you know, Joe-esque. Um, and so I really enjoyed this and I really appreciate you for coming on. I, I mean, I, we could talk longer, but I think that I think it's a good place to end for sure. Where should where would you like them to go to learn more about you and the book? Obviously, the book. <laughs> <laughs> so firstly, of course, yeah, of course. Firstly, I would say yes. And you can find her with that because, um, you know, your Instagram didn't have your last name. So it's like you to figure out your last name. So I like try to find your TikTok and I said Tyler Midwife and it came right up. I was like, oh, no way, this is sweet. So you've reverse engineered my psychology to be discoverable online. So props to you there. But I think we'll tie it up here. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Thank you so much, guys. And that wraps up our interview with Tyler. Another really incredible episode and you know, I know I said it in the interview a couple of times, but I was just blown away with um, the clarity of thought and the delivery of some of those like larger metaphors that she just kind of like rolled off the tongue or like cliches that um, that, you know, you need to hear again and again. So my takeaways were number one, her emotional intelligence, um, 
you know, I think that it's probably just been built over time through delivering babies for, for like women. Like, um, you know, I know that wedding planners have like a really like good grasp on psychology and how to like deal with people because these girls are like in their highest level state of like wanting everything to be perfect. And I can only imagine that in delivery room, it's probably way different. Obviously, I don't know anything about that. I'm just saying she's probably learned a lot about emotions through her she's experience. And that situations. shows. Yeah. Right. She's catching babies. Um, number two is the idea of being too self-aware and how she, you know, basically identified that as a problem within herself is like, <laughs> I, I, think about how I breathe too much or whatever, like, and, and some of that can have really negative outcomes. And I've experienced that myself without really giving it a name. Um, and so I just thought that was interesting. And then number three, something that I've thought about a lot since the podcast is just the idea that contraction and, uh, expansion are sort of intertwined and how you can't really expect to just grow forever. Like that's just not the way the world works. It's like a bird flapping its wings. You know, you've got to, close the wings in order to open them again. And, um, you know, that spoke to me in the season of life that I'm in now and just how, um, you know, I, you can be patient and that the expansion will come again at some point. And so, yeah, those are my takeaways. Really enjoy this conversation. Thank you, Tyla. Great stuff, Kyle. There's a, those were all things that were great that I didn't write down. So I appreciate that. Uh, one thing I think Tyla does really well and really emphasized was embodying knowledge versus just having knowledge. This is kind of a really important topic for the genre of podcasts that we're in, right? If you're hearing all these ideas and these principles and these ways you should live and ways you should act or, you know, consider acting, that's great. But if you don't actually embody those principles, if you're not, you know, using that really helpful way of thinking, once you encounter the situation where that way of thinking is like only ever useful, it's like, you're not embodying that knowledge. There's not really any value to that. So if she can, you know, speak really clearly about her emotional states, but then that doesn't actually help her make braver decisions, right? She's not really embodying that knowledge, but seems that she does embody that knowledge. And that, that was a really big point to me. So kind of how do you, this is something we talked about in like an episode in the mid forties with Talgur was kind of like integration, right? Just like, how do you integrate ideas into yourself? And my second takeaway is kind of like a point she talked about there, which is developing the ability to listen to yourself. That's something that she talked about from kind of, I don't want to screw up the words here. I'm just going to, walk carefully in the indigenous populations in the, uh, in the outback in Australia. She said like they have some really powerful traditions of just sitting alone for like four hours and staring into space. And that helps you develop the ability to listen to yourself. And she kind of, you know, didn't talk about how she does that to that extreme, but it's similar things, undistracted thinking for long periods of time, practicing being unstimulated, you know, meaning you don't wake up and check your phones immediately. You can, you know, if you're eating by yourself, maybe you just eat, right. And you just like eat the food. You don't have like the TV on, you don't have like really intense demanding music playing. You're just kind of sitting with your own thoughts. And like you discussed her emotional intelligence has probably developed through trial and fire of like watching women in extremely stressful situations. She's probably also put a similar amount of practice into developing that ability to listen to yourself, which I think leads to integrating some of the ideas because you just get hammered over and over with what you should be doing. And eventually you become that way. Uh, third thing was the kind of value bundles you get when you join a community. I don't know how much we talked about this versus something that always kind of happens to me in, in the conclusions to these podcasts. I'm like, 
I don't know if this is an idea I had while researching this episode or from actually the episode itself. But anyway, uh, Tyler was really active in the 5.30 a.m. club, something I believe we discussed a good bit in this episode. And she discussed kind of all the different benefits that one decision had. So kind of that that value pack, if you will. She met really great friends. She developed really great habits. It gave her time to work on her business without getting in the way of her schedule. It led to meeting people. That led to all of the projects kind of discussed in this episode. So I just moved to a new city. And really, it doesn't even matter if I did, right? It's like extremely valuable to join communities. You know, if I started a fit, joined a fitness community, it's like get my fitness covered, learn a skill, stay in shape, X, Y, Z, meet people that might lead to writing a book at a retreat. Uh, that's what I have to say about this episode with Tyla. If you want to support us, I wrote down the ways in advance so I can rattle them off more quickly this time. Uh, subscribe on whatever platform you're on. If that's YouTube, if that's a podcast listener, hit that sub button. Share this episode with a friend. That's really helpful to help us get new listeners. That's something that we really appreciate when that happens. Listen to more episodes. We've got a ton of episodes. There's like 80 other episodes. You can, wherever you are, you can probably find those without too much effort. I'd encourage you to listen to another one. And you can say hello on social media if you have a message for us. You like this episode, you don't like this episode, you think we should interview you, we should interview your cousin, we should interview someone else, whatever. Just uh, we'd like to hear from you. So that's what I have to say. We'll see you in a week or so with the next episode. Bye-bye.